0: Yes, that line forms on the right base. Oh, you know where it forms. Not that Maggie black and Town. Patrick here with you on the fan on this Thursday morning. 202 to be precise. I got you for 57 minutes and 40 seconds. Even more precise. I love precision. I don't know where I'm going with that, so I'll stop it. Rami on the other side taking your phone calls. 877-337-6666 for the next three hours till the warm-up show comes your way. And yeah, that's right. The big rivalry. Knicks and Nets, one team trending in the right direction, the other one not, although you have to deal with the Mitchell Robinson stuff. Obviously, the Knicks, for the first time in four years, go into Brooklyn and win a basketball game. Julius Randle was incredibly uh, impressive. I mean, he's been, since a a poor start to the season, Julius Randle's playing some excellent basketball. He's, He's changed his game a little bit. He's shooting less threes. He's in the paint. And that's really where this game was won. I mean, DiVincenzo played great, hit five threes. Uh, His first shot hits off the side of the basket. (laughs) If you saw the beginning of the game, his first shot hits off the side of the basket. You're like, oh, geez. But he was pretty good from that point on. They were much better in the fast break. They were much better in the paint. And the Nets right now are just, you know, Mikhail Bridges has just been in a horrible offensive slump. And this game was won in the trenches, uh, in the paint, at the uh, you know at the foul line and you know Randall and Hartenstein and Hart with the rebounds and the clutch threes it was a game of runs a little bit but the Knicks really were never in doubt of losing this game took control of this game and really the question is now moving forward with the way they played the way they won this game Randall in the paint and the idea of winning the backboards which has been such an important part of this team now takes an enormous hit. With Mitchell Robinson and the news that came out after the game that he's going to, it looks like he's going to miss the entire season. As they have, uh, you know, asked for the um, what's the? I, I wrote it down somewhere. I forgot the name of it precisely, but they, the exemption, player exemption, disabled. The there it is. I wrote it right there. Disabled player exemption. Asking for seven point eight million for Mitchell Robinson. Uh, it seems like the injury is worse than they thought. Uh, it's it's a bizarre kind of. He didn't do it. On the court, we didn't see the injury. Uh, first, it was eight to ten weeks. Now it seems like he's going to miss the entire season. They're trying to get seven eight million $7.8 million back for it. They're talking about needing to put pins and stuff inside the ankle. It's a severe injury. And for a Nick team, that's the anchor of the defense. That's the one of the best, if not the best, offensive rebounder for sure in the NBA. One of the better rebounders, period, in the NBA. One of the better rim protectors in the NBA. And, yeah, you might be able to beat the the Nets, who really outside of Claxton don't have anyone in the paint, and they play a perimeter game, and their game is hitting three-pointers. They take more three-pointers than anybody. They hit more three-pointers than anybody. Uh, They weren't proficient at it last night. They're in a little bit of a slump on a four-game losing streak, the Nets. But right now, the way the Knicks play, they can go into the paint and beat the Nets. But they got the Bucs coming up and the way they're playing. Right now, with Giannis and Dame, I mean, I don't know if you can go into the paint and win the kind of games you won last night against the Nets. So, like, Mitchell Robinson's injury, although he's not that proficient an offensive player, and as much as that's today's NBA, we all know it, Mitchell Robinson's a nice player. Mitchell Robinson is someone who defend, who can rebound and give your team second chances. He can defend the rim. He can make it difficult for guys in the paint, He's, but ultimately he's a – more than limited offensive player. He's not good from the free throw line. He doesn't have much of an offensive game. But he was having arguably the best start of his career. And it's a, it's a difficult injury. Hardenstein's done a very nice job. Sims also injured too. So you, you've seen a lot of Hardenstein. He's done a nice job. I like him as a role player on this team. But Hardenstein getting 30 minutes is, is, is probably not what you're looking for. So the question is, what do the Knicks do from here? At 16 and 11, off a nice road trip that started poorly against the jazz, had a dumpster fire of a loss against the Clippers, but ultimately went three and two on the road trip, beating the Lakers, beating the Suns, beating the Nets, and now set up for a Saturday game, 12:30 against the Bucks. Can they continue to win this way? Quickly is extremely efficient off the bench, quick, instant offense. He's efficient. He's playing less minutes than he played last year, but scoring the same amount of points. He's been someone you can rely on. Obviously, Brunson and Randall are the absolute lifeblood of the team. Randall's been incredible for everything we say about Julius Randall, and as many flaws as Julius Randall has, and as many questions as he has to answer in big games at the end of the season and into the postseason. This is what he is for most of the regular season. It was a bad start to the year, but he's someone here who is a physical, imposing player. When he comes down the line, he comes down the lane with a full head of steam, he is tough to stop. He's been scoring much better from it with his basket, with his back turned to the basket. He's limiting his three pointers and changed his game a little bit to an actual the last handful of games. I like this version of Julius Randle better than the Julius Randle who takes all the three pointers. I like the version of this player better. And I think it suits the team better. They've got uh, DiVincenzo to hit some threes. Brunson can hit some threes. Uh, you know, Quickly can shoot from, from, from behind the arc. They have got Quentin Grimes. Can't do much else. I just asked Kevin Durant. Can't do much else, but can't get his own shot. Can't get to the foul line. But he can hit threes if you find him in the corner. They've got guys who can shoot. I, I think they need, especially now, without Robinson, they need someone who can work inside the paint. And Julius Randle has done an unbelievable job over the last few games has really stepped up and his game is rounding into form. We all know what we get from Brunson and how great he is. Uh RJ Barrett started off the season shooting really well. Uh, all the talk in the offseason how much he was putting into his shot, trying to make it better, trying to become more of an offensive player. I still think he's at the best of his game much like Julius Randle when he's attacking the basket. He's strong, he's good around the rim. That's the kind of game I want from R.J. Barrett, but he's kind of tailed off. He had the injury, missed a couple games here and there, but ultimately, you know, he's a fine player. But looking ahead at the Knicks, because let's be honest, we know what they are. Like every time I get into the Knicks conversation, we could break down this game. We could talk about the 5 game road trip, and we could talk about ups and downs of it, but ultimately a winning road trip, which you'll always sign up for, and they're playing well. And they're 16-11, and and they're the five-seed inside the Eastern Conference, and they're better than the teams around them for the most part. But can they go take on a 76ers team inside the paint with Embiid? And I know he has injury problems, and I know there's questions about softness there, but they're playing good basketball. We know what Boston is. We know who the Bucs are especially now that it seems like Giannis and Dame have hit their stride and they're playing great basketball, are the Knicks good enough to compete with them? Can the Knicks go in to Milwaukee and win a game in the paint the way they did against the Nets? No. I don't think they can. So there's a limit to this team, but ultimately playing very, fairly well, won a game against a big-time rival. And I'm sorry. I hate to say it. I hate to say it, but I agree. I was Hardenstein who said it. I, I don't. I've, I, when they had the big three sure it was a rivalry because it was, it it felt like it was flipped the big brother key to like the Knicks managed to be the talk of the city when it came to basketball, but the talk of the country was the Nets. It was like an odd, it was an odd, weird dynamic where they were still the King of New York, but the most talked about team in, in the nation, you turn on ESPN, everything was Nets, 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 Nets. You turned on, you know, WFAN or SNY. It's Nick, 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 Nick. But this is a Nets team that we know the flaws of the Nets team, and they have some nice pieces. You know, Bridges is is all has been in a little bit of a slump here, but you know how good he is. Cam Johnson, uh, the their ability to – both Johnsons, the ability to uh, – Cam Thomas and Cam Johnson, the their ability to score and shoot the basketball and get their own shots and different things. But ultimately, this isn't a very good Nets team. This is a solid Nets team. This is possibly a back-end-of-the-playoffs, play-in type of team. But this is the type of team where most nights, whether it's in Brooklyn or the Garden, the Knicks, these are the kind of teams that the Knicks should be able to beat on a nightly basis, and even without Robinson, which is a hit, and they're going to have to figure that out, and they're going to recoup 7.8 million or at least try to, and they're going to have to do something. They're going to have to do something. They're going to have Taj Gibson's not going to be the answer to replace Mitchell Robinson. They are going to have to find someone they can bring in who can help defend the rim and rebound because being the best offensive rebounding team in the league and having the best offensive rebounder in the league was something the Knicks relied on absolutely relied on and something that made them dangerous. And while they still rebounded well in this game, the Nets that and the Nets can rebound. They have been a pretty good rebounding team, but it's cuz it's partially cuz they take so many damn shots, but they need to repl- this is a hit it's not, it's not a death blow because I don't know how important Mitchell Robinson is to taking the next step. Like, this hurts the Knicks being the team that we thought could hold on to the five seed, maybe be a four seed, and be somewhat of a pest in the playoffs, in the Eastern Conference. And I know everybody likes to talk about it. it's if you if you if you're on Knicks Twitter, everybody's hung up on when they beat the Lakers and when they beat the Phoenix Suns. It's always like, Well, I don't understand. The Knicks don't have the best player on the court. What do you mean? How'd they win this game? I don't get it. The NBA's the best player on the court wins the game, right? Yeah, well, it, that's a that's a fun little story in December. We know what happens. We know what happens. Come June. So as much as I think Mitchell Robinson's a big time player for them. As much as I think his offensive rebounding is important, and as devastating as this injury may be, is that going to prevent them from taking the next step? I don't I don't know. It hurts this current adoration of the team. It it's something they're gonna have to figure out in the short term. But in the long term, they're going to have to get a superstar here. Plain and simple. Plain and simple. But it's a good win. First time in four years they go into Brooklyn And take on the Nets and get a victory, which is positive. Brunson's playing excellent basketball. Randall's playing excellent basketball. And this team, the the what, um, Divincenzo can bring to this team with the three point ability, quickly off the bench, being extremely efficient, has been uh, a major positive. And right now, the Knicks are where you thought they'd be: sixteen and eleven, right in the five seed, and one of, if not the best. Team in the East in that secondary level. Not quite up with the best of the East, but right there at the top of the secondary teams in the East. Not Boston, not Milwaukee, probably not even Philadelphia. As many issues we have with them and how soft they can be and the disaster Philly is, and you always feel like the shoe's about to drop with them, they're a better team. Embiid's an absolute superstar. And they're right there with everybody else in that next tier level And how are they going to replace Robinson in the short term is the question. 877-337-6666. But another win, another uh, 120-point game. They're averaging 121 points. So they've been scoring a lot, and they've been fun to watch. And they are a good, fun basketball team. And for the most part, at least you know you have a legitimate NBA team. And we can watch them on a nightly basis and know that we're watching pretty good basketball. And we can count on them to be a playoff team. And we're seeing a well-coached, well-run, hard-fought, good-efforted basketball team on a nightly basis with an opportunity to go out there. And for the most part, beat, beat the teams like the Nets, like the Raptors, certainly like the Pistons and Hornets. That's the kind of team that we have right now, and they're going to have to figure something out if they're going to want to be better than just that. And you know who else is going to have to figure out who's gonna, what to do to be better is the New York Mets. Because let's just take a second there and talk about all of a sudden the talk around Yamamoto. And I know it's taken a long time. And I know Yamamoto doesn't seem to want to make up his mind, and I told you why I think it's taking so long. He's waiting for the Yankees to pony up, and he's holding the Mets hostage. And I don't think he wants to go to the Mets, but right now that's the highest offer. That's my Yankee-centric, I'll be fair opinion. I think that's what's going on here. But what's not going on here, and what I don't want to hear from anybody, is this sudden belief that the Mets, A, don't need them, don't want them, and that it won't be a big deal, they'll just pivot. Absolute Crap. The New York Mets need Yamamoto. This owner, Steve Cohen, needs Yamamoto. And the idea that suddenly now, because it's taken a while and we've all had time to think about it, and we're all frustrated by him, and maybe we're even a little bit ticked off that it's taken so long... And we're waiting day after day, and we've heard a million reports about who's the favorite and who's out and who's had dinner where and who's talking about this one and where could they pivot and maybe they go with drift and they're making a trade for uh, Hauser. They're, all this stuff while we're waiting for Yamamoto, it's finally got to the point where we're saturated with it and we're annoyed. That doesn't change the fact that this owner, the richest owner in baseball, who came over here with promises – and I don't care if this offseason is going to be a step back or not, or whatever it's going to be. He's made it very clear they are targeting this 25 year old superstar pitcher from Japan. And whether or not 300 million is smart, whether or not is, is this the best way to build your team, blah, 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 those questions were answered weeks ago. Yes. He's the guy they're going to go get. Yes, he's the guy they'll give $300 million to. Yes, the rest of the offseason is a crapshoot except for the idea they're going to get Yamamoto. And if they lose him to the Yankees, if they lose him to the Dodgers, if they lose him despite offering the most amount of money, it is, and, and even worse, if they don't offer the most amount of money. But anything short of bringing Yamamoto to Queens is an absolute disaster. Could it be a short-term disaster fixed by other moves and ultimate winning and success? Of course, everything can be fixed by winning. But this is this immediately takes a hit for this owner and is a disaster for this offseason. And King Cohen is no longer King Cohen. He's just Steve Cohen. I'll even give him, he's still Uncle Uncle Stevie. But he's not King Cohen. He's not the guy we all thought he would be who'd come in here and every owner in baseball was worried about, and they're putting special rungs in the luxury tax just for him. Because you know what? He might have it, but he can't sell it. And if you can't sell it, what's the point of having it? So please... Don't all of a sudden move the goalposts and tell me it's not that big a deal if they don't get him. Or, you know what, maybe it's not a good idea. You can pivot and get Blake Snell, and you can pivot and get Montgomery, and you can pivot and get Bader, and you can pivot and trade for this one. And ultimately, you'll be better. They haven't shown. I know now Woodruff has kind of been sprinkled about the Mets, and there's some thought they might trade for a pitcher who right now can't pitch this year with a shoulder injury. I'm not sure why it took me three times to say shoulder. But you can't tell me that all of a sudden, hey, I see this is a, but these are Met fans who see they're getting used. These are Met fans who are trying to tell themselves, hey, look, what are you going to, you know, this is the grace period Steve Cohen still has. And you're allowing yourself to, you know, get fooled by that and say, well, listen, what are you going to do? It's not that bad. I mean, how long is he waiting? It's ridiculous. You know what's coming. You fear what's coming. And instead of standing there with your chest out, knowing exactly what you wanted, exactly what you needed, and exactly where you stood a week ago on whether or not how important it was to get this player, suddenly, as you see it slipping through your fingers, you're selling yourself on the idea that, hey, you know what? It's not that big a deal. It is. It's a huge deal. It not only impacts the team, it impacts the team building, it impacts who you are. It impacts the rotation, it impacts the owner, it impacts winning this year, it impacts winning in the future, it impacts the idea that teams can snub their nose at your money. And that a player who's 25 years old, who's never played in Major League Baseball before, doesn't need the biggest offer. And he can still get big money from other teams. And you know what? Situation isn't, is, is sometimes more important than just an extra 10, 20, 30 million dollars. And if that's the problem and if that's the situation then the Mets need to improve who they are. And they need to improve what they've been. And they need to improve their brand. And that's not as easy as just throwing millions at a player and saying, come take my money. And if it's not that easy then it's by logic, much more difficult. And can this owner, which we know can take the easy route of throwing big money around, but is he smart enough? Is this new president of baseball operations, David Stern, smart enough? Are they good at what they do enough to change the brand? Because you know what? 101-win season followed by another typical Met losing season didn't do it. You need more. And throwing money at Lindor didn't do it. And throwing money at Nimmo didn't do it. And having the highest payroll in baseball only to win 78 games didn't do it. How do you go about doing it? You thought you could just throw money around. Apparently not. And now it's okay. It's okay. No biggie. We'll be all right. We'll figure it out. Okay. Okay. 877 337 6666. Big here with you until five o'clock when the warm up show comes your way. So let's talk. 877 337 6666. We got plenty to talk to uh, about. We've got the, the Nick game and the injury to Mitchell Robinson. We've got the Mets and Yamamoto. That's where I started at the top of the show, but we got plenty else to do. How about Aaron Rodgers? Aaron Rodgers won't be able to play, but still he can practice. And apparently that makes him a bad guy. We'll have to talk about that because I don't see it. And then, of course, it is almost football Friday. The Giants are going into Philadelphia on Christmas Day. We can get into that. Everything's on the table for the next two and a half hours. McMonagle here with you on The Fan, 877-337-6666. We'll be right back with your phone calls on a Thursday morning overnight right here on The Fan.